Coming to Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, March Madness, breaking the chains that bind us, chains of drugs, alcohol, sex, bad relationships, poverty, low self-esteem, we will be featuring four powerful ministers, spirit-led speakers like Courtney Ray, Vincent Dem, Dr. Carlton Bird, and Minister Omar Palmer. The following is our keynote speaker, Dr. Carlton Bird, speaking on the topic, Don't Box Me In. Hear he him. Three. Philippians chapter 3, and Dr. Lee read it to us, but if you're at Berean, you've heard me say, repetition deepens the impression. And so I like to read the verse more than once so we can seek and bear soak down, if you will, in our spirit. Not an unfamiliar text, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. If you happen to hear you say amen. The word of God says to us in Philippians 3:10 that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his what, everybody? Death. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, right now, come by here, good Lord, come by here. Somebody needs you, God, so come by here. Someone, Lord, is looking for a blessing, Lord, so please come by here and speak through this servant, your servant, this morning. Hide me behind your cross, and God, may we leave here today better than how we came. And God, we'd be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. Forgive us for our sins, we pray in the name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Come on, neighbor. Say, don't box me in. Now, every person like Paul, the apostle Paul, should have a desire to know God for themselves. Not through anybody else's relationship, do I have a witness in this place, but you've got to know God for yourself. Every experience in your life, you have to see God operating in that experience and to really understand who God is in our lives, to have a grasp, Paul says, of who Jesus Christ is. Now, to really know Jesus Christ is to be familiar with his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the planning committee told me they wanted me to speak on our theme, you know, ministering the gospel in contemporary times, but base it on the life of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to understand today that the ministry of Jesus was a ministry that really reshaped the world in which we live. The ways in which men thought, the ways in which we think and acted, all changed as a result of Jesus' coming. Jesus did not just come just to be coming. If everything was all right, he wouldn't have come. He came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And the most interesting thing about the ministry of Jesus Christ was to observe not only the people that came in contact with him, because everything that came in contact with him ultimately changed. But it's important to understand the systems and structures that Jesus came in contact with because you see some systems, some structures, some things are designed to maintain the status quo. 
There are a lot of things in our lives that limits us. And I want you to understand something because this message is not a message against systems and structures because I do believe at times they have their place. But whenever a system or structure limits your development and hinders you from reaching your fullest potential, I've come to tell you that it's a box you need to get out of. Do I have a witness in this place? You see, when we have situations like this, you really have a choice. Either you're going to conform to the system, or you can transform the system by declaring, I'm not going to be boxed in. Now I'm going to really, really examine the birth and ministry of Jesus Christ. We look at his birth. We can see that from his inception, Jesus really never could be put in a box. Everything about Jesus is beyond explanation in a real sense. And it's out of the box. When we look at the fact that Jesus was born, when we look at his birth, his birth is beyond cosmological and astrological explanation. Because the Bible says that he, we, when he was born, there was a star that shone in Bethlehem. And we've never seen a star like that before. And you know what? We'll never see a star like that again. It can't be explained. As a matter of fact, when we look at Jesus' birth, we look at his relationship in age. His age is beyond numerical explanation. Understand that Jesus Christ was younger and older than his mother at the same time. Jesus when speaking to the Jews about his pre-existence, told them that his existence at present went back further than Abraham's past. For even before Abraham was, he said, I am. What do we have here? Jesus, who was Abraham's seed, was also Abraham's savior. Jesus, who was David's son, was also David's Lord. Jesus, who created flesh, became flesh. When God reversed the beginning, when he took a motherless woman from the body of a man in creation, but then took a fatherless man from the body of a woman in redemption. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became what? Flesh. Dwelt among us. And we beat out his glory. That was Jesus. But watch this. The Bible also says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, so he was before Mary was, and yet allowed Mary to birth him. He was older and younger than his own mother. So he was beyond numerical explanation. But my brothers and sisters, not only that this morning, but his mind. Everybody say his mind. He was, his mind was so sharp. It was beyond psychological and theological explanation. For at age 12, Jesus the Christ sat in the temple with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he mysteriously amazed even them, those who even had studied the law. Jesus outwitted them with his mind. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even put a Jesus in a vocational box. One day, he's the Red Cross shedding his blood that is now flowing through my veins. The next day, he's the Salvation Army providing shelter in the time of storm. One day, he's a hematologist, the woman with the issue of blood. The next day, he's a podiatrist, folk that are lame are walking again. 
One day he's an oncologist healing cancer and leprosy. The next day he's an ophthalmologist giving sight to the blind. One day he's a gynecologist giving birth. The next day he's a cardiologist fixing broken hearts and torn lives. My brothers and sisters. Jesus cannot be put in a box. And so I want you to understand this. Paul is really saying to those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ that we cannot be put in boxes. Because what God has for your life, what God has for your ministry is larger and bigger than any box. And I want you to hear me today. Because a disciple of Christ cannot be boxed in, but a member can. A disciple cannot be boxed in, but a member can. There's a difference between disciples and members. I wish I had time. And if you're going to truly be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do, then you're going to have to be courageous enough to declare, don't box me in. Some of you today, you've been waiting. You've been waiting to go to the next level in ministry. Somebody here today, you're tired of going day to day, singing the same old song, just a different stanza, but always in the same rut. You're tired of revelation without relevance. You're tired of seeing the church perform eight-track ministry in a DVD society. You're tired of plastic, fake, phony, lifeless, flat, comatose ministry. You're tired of the same old calendar year after year. Christmas service this month. Officers installation next month. Black history the next month. Week of prayer the following month. Fall drive, conference development, conference advance, United Church Fund, TBO, they all begin the next month. And in camp meeting the next month. What God has for you is larger than a box. And what you need to do is refuse to allow yourself to be in a system and structures that hinder what God wants to do in your life. God didn't call you to conform. God called you to transform. Everybody say, don't box me in. Brothers and sisters, I've learned. I've learned that when you really get to know God, when you really get to know him, your whole perspective on life is going to get larger. Your whole concept, your whole paradigm, your whole way of viewing reality is going to get larger. Your outlook will not be as myopic. Watch this. There's some of you today, you've got folk who used to be real close to you. Maybe you matriculated at Oakwood or Andrews together. Maybe you ordained together. Maybe you pastored together. But God has begun to do a new thing in you. And now you see things a little bit differently. You don't want to just pastor to pastor anymore. You don't want to go through the motions anymore. But you want real, authentic, life-changing, soul-saving, scratching where the people it's ministry. But your friend, your colleague, 
your brother in ministry, your sister in ministry, they're not interested in that. They're just waiting on the 15th and the 30th or the 25th of each month for the master to tell them what to do next. And you begin to wonder why you can't hang anymore. What's happening is you're outgrowing that relationship. What's happening is that little box is too small. That mindset is too small. So we've got to figure out now, got to find out then how the enemy tries to box you in. Because whether you know it or not, there is an attack of the enemy to box a child of God in. Because if he can box you in, he will then begin to put limitations on what God wants to do in your life. You'll begin to think, this is all I can do. This is all I can have. Because you don't really know who you are. But guess what? When you know him, you'll know you. <laughs> Let's find out what the enemy tries to do. First of all, in order to examine this thing, we've got to examine. We're following Jesus' life now. We've got to examine how Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to look at that, and we're going to also examine then how Jesus was crucified. And then we're going to look at his burial and resurrection, and then I'm going to sit down. Is that all right, everybody? All right. Paul says that I may, what, everybody? Know him. That's the essence of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. The fact that Jesus was birthed, he lived, was arrested, was crucified, he was buried, and after three days, he got up again. That's the essence of the gospel message. If you're going to know them, you've got to know that. Now let's talk about it. Number one, try not to be boxed in. Number one, don't let the enemy handcuff you with tradition. I'm bowling down somebody's alley right now. You may not like it, but you're going to appreciate what I'm going to say. I've learned in ministry, you can't be... You can't be popular and prophetic at the same time. God didn't call me to be liked all the time, but he called me to preach this word. I'm coming straight out of this word. If there was one thing that was in opposition to Jesus Christ, guess what it was, everybody? Tradition. Now, let me be clear. All tradition is not bad. But whatever or whenever tradition does not submit to this word, it becomes a box. The fact that Jesus was handcuffed in the Garden of Gethsemane was really a culmination of a series of events that attempted to help make him maintain the status quo and keep him in a box. But Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to make it better. But there are some things about tradition that you've got to understand. And the most important thing I want you to get today is that there are some traditions that choose to remain the same even if they aren't effective. This is the kind of tradition that you've got to be afraid of. This is the mindset that says we can keep doing the same things and expect different results. We can keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and somehow, someway, we're going to get different results. Now, if you believe that, there's something wrong with you, because the definition of that is lunacy. You see, Jesus Christ, his whole ministry came into opposition with tradition, because they cannot understand how Jesus Christ, how he deal things, how he healed on the Sabbath. They said, now, wait a minute. You can't heal on the Sabbath. It's against tradition. Tradition did not want to bow down to the word 
But remember, Jesus was the what? Word. But tradition says, you can't do this, Jesus, on the Sabbath. Jesus said, wait a minute. Was the Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? On one occasion, Jesus was sitting down with the sinners eating, and the religious folks said, why are you sitting with those sinners? Jesus said, you don't understand. I came for the least, the last, the lost, the unlucky, and the left out. I didn't come for those that were whole, those that don't need a physician. Those that are sick need a physician. Well, what you've got to get when you get out of the box is that all your friends aren't always trying to fully love Christ, be saved, or see other folks saved. You've got some folk you know that are not trying to be saved. Jesus Christ, again, one day, another illustration, there was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They said, Jesus! The law says that she be stoned to death. Tradition says she ought to be stoned. Jesus said, Bah, ye without sin, cast the first stone. Don't y'all try to put me in a box? And you can't cast a stone because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to get this. The devil wants to handcuff you with tradition. He wants to get you bound with ritual and uh, religion that you will sacrifice the word of God on the altar of tradition. Can, can we talk? Jesus Christ is the word. And what's so important is that when God has a purpose for your life and when you're being led by the word, you don't allow tradition to handcuff you. Now, everybody comes to a point in their life. Now hear this. When you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to follow truth or tradition? Now I'm going to let you know today that there are some things that God wants to do in our lives, but the only way we're going to receive this is if we follow his word. Paul says that I may, what everybody? Know him. The only way for me to know him is to know him through his word. And most traditions I've learned, most traditions are caught. But God's word is taught. How much stuff do you operate in that's been caught over what you've been taught? Think about it. The majority of things that many of us grew up believing was as a result of passed down traditions. Everybody say passed down. There are some of us, we just believe that church has to start at 11 o'clock. It can't start at any other time but you were taught that and I know what I'm talking about because that's what I was taught that there are only certain kinds of songs you can sing you're not supposed to clap you can't use drums let's stand for the procession of the choir the deaconess have to wear these little white nets on the top of their heads you can't bless babies born out of wedlock in front of the church you have to bless them in the back in the pastor's study you have to repeat the fourth commandment. You have to sing the doxology. You want to vote folk in the church in a certain way, putting them through a scrutinized screening process, taking them through a bunch of red tape, putting folk through a bureaucratic bottleneck, and all they want to do is be baptized and become a member of the body of Christ. None of which has no biblical basis whatsoever. But we will get upset, run our blood pressure up, because somebody's in our seat. Somebody doesn't have the right color on. 
somebody didn't wear a white shirt and a white tie, somebody didn't put their badge on, or church now starts at 11.15. Help me, Holy Ghost. We can all been out of shape and excuse my English, but it ain't got nothing to do with the Word of God. And if it ain't in the Word, it doesn't deserve to be heard. But this is what bothers me. What we do is we tell people who visit our tent efforts, our crusades, our revivals, to give up their traditions and join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We preach and we quote Matthew 15, 9 and Mark 7, 7. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. But yet we've got just as many traditions as the church we're telling them to come out of. Do I have a witness in this place? Somebody might want to know, how do I protect myself from being handcuffed by tradition? You've got to get to the point, and I had to learn this, that you've got to operate in the Word of God, regardless of what people might say about you, regardless of what people might think about you, and you have the satisfaction of knowing you can't be boxed in. Let me say this, and I know you're listening. When I was called to serve as the senior pastor of the Atlanta Berean Church, I was in my mid-30s. And folk I know, because you know you say something to somebody, you better be sure they're going to call and tell me. Come on, say amen. <laughs> folk were saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen at Berean? Is the music going to change? Is the preaching going to change? Is the service going to change? Is it going to still be a traditional church? Because I have been accused of not being a traditional Adventist pastor. But you know what? Good. Praise the Lord. Because let me tell you what I found out. I've been Adventist all my life. Adventist born, Adventist bred, and when I die, I'll be Adventist dead. I thank God for the Adventist church. But the Adventist church is supposed to be a biblical church, not a traditional church. The Adventist church's mission is rooted in the biblical gospel commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So let me tell you something. When I came to understand this word for myself, I grew up in the Adventist church, and I'm going to testify and talk about myself. I used to talk about folk who weren't dressed like me. I used to talk about folk who didn't sing like me. I used to talk about folk who didn't look or smell like me. I used to talk about those folk who believed in healing and the anointing, and I said, that stuff ain't real. But when I begin to read the Word of God, Myself, I begin to realize that there's power, Holy Ghost power. It's not about what I look like on the outside. It's not about where I live on the outside, but it's all about the
the Holy Ghost on the inside. And so now I can say there's something within me that holdeth the rain. Something within me that banishes pain. Something within me that I cannot explain. All that I know, I thank my God. I've got something within. Too many of us sitting up in church waiting for something to happen. Waiting for the conference office to tell us what to do next. Sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. We've got to be proactive. We will never see new oceans unless we lose sight of the shore. We're so religious. And I was that way until the Lord liberated me. Thank God. We will sit up and look at the clock and we want to know what time we're going to get out and go home. And then we wonder why our children are in trouble. We wonder why our families are breaking up because we don't want to follow God's word. But I've made about mine that you can talk about me just as much as you please. But I, Carlton Berg, you're hearing it from me now. I refuse to practice isolated, insulated ministry that affects nobody but us. practice ministry that is irrelevant to the postmodern contemporary times in which we live. I refuse to let the people of God live in poverty. I refuse to let people, the people of God, die from stuff they don't have to die from. I refuse to let demons run in and out of the church. If you're bad enough to say it, be bad enough to hear my response. I believe that if anybody ought to believe this word, it ought to be some Bible-toting, scripture-quoting believers of God. We need the Word of God. It's not just a Sabbath school thing. It's not just an AYS thing. It's not a manual thing or a traditional thing or solely an Adventist thing. It's a Word of God thing to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this Word, It is because there is no light in them that I may know him. What's wrong with many of us? We're tranquilized by tradition. And our churches are dying. Our people are sitting in church. And let me tell y'all something. People are getting tired now. People getting tired of coming to church, getting hollered at. People leave church and they don't even know what the message is all about. People are tired of seeing the emphasis of policy placed over the needs of people. People are getting tired of never getting delivered from their problems. People are tired of getting tired of a plastic, fake, phony religion that is routinely practiced. People are tired of being unable to come to a church where they can't share their burdens and problems simply because they're afraid of what other folk may, might say about them after they've come clean. People are getting tired of judgmental, legalistic, finger-pointing, fault-finding, holier-than-thou attitudes. People are tired of seeing folk put an outside show on for an unfriendly world. People are getting tired. I'm hearing about tithing and nobody else being blessed but the preacher. You tired of that? I'm on the top, not the bottom. We're the head, not the tail. If you don't believe this word, then get out of my way.
I'm operating in the word of God. In him I move, I live, I breathe, and I have my being. Hallelujah. Don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a structural box. Don't put me in your systems box. Don't put me in your association box. Don't box me in. Ellen White. Oh, he believes in Ellen White. Ellen White. Ellen White says in evangelism, page 178, everyone connected with the work should keep fresh ideas and buy tact. That's what I had to learn at Berean, tact. And buy tact and foresight. Bring all that is possible into your work to the interests of your hearers. Page 291, she continues. We must work in different ways and devise different methods and let God work in us to the revealing of truth and himself as the sin-parking savior. Don't box me in. Second point, I'm quickly getting through this. Number two, the enemy. What did I say, everybody? The enemy is after you. The enemy wants to hinder your testimony. I want you to hear this. You've got to notice how Jesus dealt with persecution. The Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and have fellowship with his sufferings. Now, fellowship is like a partnership. Fellowship is sharing. When you get, want to get to know Christ, you also want to participate in sharing his sufferings. When you share the Lord's sufferings, they bring you into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, I want to know how Jesus dealt with what he dealt with so they will give me a pattern or a blueprint on how to deal with my own stuff. So what happens on the cross? Jesus was crucified. And what happens on the cross is real important to the depth of who Jesus was. If you want to know him, you got to get to know him on the cross. You see, his purpose, listen to me good was to die on the cross. That was his cup. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the whole purpose of his life. So watch this. While on the cross, the cross was intended to bring shame to Jesus, but instead it brought glory to Jesus. The box here is that when your situation is so bad that who you are takes a back seat to what you're going through. But when you get out of the box, who you are doesn't take a back seat to what you're going through. Bird, what are you trying to say? Look at Jesus. Jesus was taunted on the cross. If thou be the son of God, if you are who you say you are, then save yourself. And rather than allow the cross to get the best of him, look what Jesus did. Jesus ministered from the cross. He's still doing what he was called to do from the cross. The cross does not eclipse his purpose. So guess what birds gonna do? From the cross, I'll still go to work. From the cross, I'm still gonna preach. From the cross, I'm still gonna sing. From the cross, I'm still gonna visit. From the cross, I'm still gonna run that meeting. From the cross, I'm still gonna practice next level ministry. Just because I'm on the cross doesn't mean I've got to lose my purpose. 
who you really are, who you really are, can only show up on the cross. And some of you might be saying, well, Bird, I don't have a cross. Well, that's because you're a member. There's a difference between a member and a disciple. Do I have a witness to this place? A disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple, baby, you got a cross. There's some of you today, you got a cross. I've got a cross. We've all got crosses. So watch this. No matter how painful the cross is, Jesus is still on the cross. What does Jesus teach us? He teaches us three things in particular. Number one, Jesus teaches us and he shows us submission. Everybody say submission. He shows us strength. Say he shows us strength. He shows us what? Strength. And then he shows us what to say. He shows us what to what? Say. Now, when you're on the cross, number one, you've got to know how to be submissive to your father's will. Now, here's the deal. When on the cross, Jesus was taunted, if thou be the son of God, save thyself. Now, we all know that Jesus was God. And there were angels in heaven just waiting for orders from him to be dispatched from heaven to go down and rescue him. But he held them back so that his purpose might be fulfilled. It was his father's will, and he was submissive to his father's will, even if it hurt. He said, not because I can't come down, but I've come to do the will of my father that sent me. Now, if Jesus had come down, we wouldn't be here today. If he had come down from the cross, there would still be some folks strung out on crack. If he had not come down from the cross, some of us would still be walking the street at night. Thank God that he did not come down. You've got to be submissive to what God tells you to do, even if it hurts. Number two, he showed us strength. He showed us what, everybody? Strength. Nowhere, listen to me good, nowhere on the cross do we hear Jesus whining. Nowhere on the cross is there a record of a tear. Nowhere on the cross do you hear him complaining. And there are so many people when they get on a cross, all you hear is them whining and complaining about what's going on. And you're sitting around whining and complaining, giving the enemy the victory. But you got to understand something. God is tired of cowardly Christians. They nailed the word to the cross. But when you get the word inside of you, you recognize that I've got the word on the cross with me. There's no need of me sitting around holding my head down, whining and complaining, singing a sad song. I've got to have strength. This word has built up my strength. Y'all remember Popeye? You know Popeye the Sailor Man. Maybe you don't remember. Maybe you just know Popeye's chicken. Come on, tell the truth. Shame the devil. All y'all ain't vegetarians. Come on, say amen. I've been having this all my life. I watch it. You go to the restaurants. Well, I order after he orders just to see what he's going to order. Come on, say amen. Sailor man, olive oil and Brutus. Y'all remember them? And you remember how Popeye used to beat up on Brutus. I mean, Brutus used to beat up on Popeye. And Brutus would have olive oil all 
tied up and he was going to take olive oil away from Popeye. But you know what would happen? Popeye would find some spinach and they'd say, Popeye the sailor man, Popeye the sailor man. The music would come on and when Popeye got that spinach, help me Holy Ghost, Brutus better watch out. Popeye was coming to get him. Do I have a witness in this place? What am I trying to say? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you get the word of the Lord inside of you, it works just like spinach. Do I have a witness in this place? What's been tearing you down? What's been beating you up? You now have strength to deal with whatever is going on in your life. Do I have a witness in this place? Finally, number three. Number three. Come on, bird. You've got to watch what you say on the cross. The seven last statements of Jesus on the cross were statements of prayer and encouragement. He talked with his father and gave encouragement to those around their own crosses. You see, when you're on the cross, you have to be careful who you talk to. Many of us will talk ourselves to death. But you got to realize that when you're on the cross, number one, Jesus was talking to his father. When you're on the cross, you've got to get to the point that you stop calling your friends or colleagues and having a pity party. When you're on the cross, you've got to get to a point where you stop asking your friends whose situation is worse than yours how to help you with your problems. Man, what did you think I should do? How can the blind lead the blind? You better lift up your eyes to the hills from which cometh your help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I'm tired of taking my problems to problems. I've got to take my problems to the answer. I can cast my cares upon him because he careth for me. Not only that, but Jesus encouraged and, and gave ministering words to those around the cross. Watch this. The ones that said in the crowd, crucify him. They said, kill him. Yet the one who needed encouragement was the encourager. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that sometimes God will get you in a situation where folk will be looking at you talking about how in the world? How in the world? How in the world are you going through all that bad and you're still encouraging me? It's because I've got a greater source of strength on the inside. You see, that's what separates a child of God from those who are just playing church. When you're on the cross, help me, Holy Ghost, you've got something on the inside that's able to encourage folks even when they're trying to encourage you. You're able to say, hey, hang on in there. Jesus is hanging on the cross. But yet he's still encouraging somebody else. There's somebody right now, you come to evangelism council, and while you're sitting up here complaining. You have just heard the powerful message from Dr. Carlton Bird. He is one of her featured speakers in March Madness. Now, March Madness begins February the 28th to March the 22nd, 2014. Nightly meetings will be from Wednesday to Friday nights. And on Saturdays, we will have two meetings, 11 a.m. 
and 5 p.m. On Sabbath evening, we will be having our sports cafe opening up at 7 p.m. This is all for young people, and we want you to come out and be blessed and be empowered. Now, if you need additional information, you could text the word reclaim to 55469 for more information, and we will be happy to get this information out to you. May the Lord bless you and see you on February 28th, where we will hear the word of God preached with power.